0: So I'm here with my friend, Imam Islam Mossad, in Austin, Texas, having a conversation for allcreation.org, and we're going to be talking about dominionism, but we're going to ease into this just a little bit, and I would love to hear from you, my friend, Um, tell us a little bit more, tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're serving, how long you've been here, just help us get to know you a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, thank you, Uh, thank you, Dan. I begin in the name of God, the most gracious and most merciful, Uh, praises for him and the peace and blessings be upon all of his prophets and messengers from Adam to Noah to Abraham to Moses to Jesus and to their seal, uh, Muhammad. Uh, Very happy uh, that you made the drive and and are here uh, for this uh, interview. Uh, A little bit about uh, myself. Um, I I grew up here in Austin. I was born in Arlington, Virginia. And then... uh, my parents came to Austin, Texas when I was two years old, uh, so um, I'm as close to native as maybe you can get, I mean, to, to being an Austinite. Um, you know, people sometimes they say that question, which people can interpret in different ways, but I will answer it, you know, all like, where are you really from? <laughs> so, uh, but this is definitely home for me, uh, as we were discussing before coming on air, uh, you know, home for me, is, is, is where you feel most at ease, most yourself, uh, and you have a spiritual connection to uh, the nature and uh, the people also around you. And so um, this is home. But my parents did come from Egypt, uh, from Cairo, Egypt, back in the 70s, uh, which is maybe a topic for another day where the uh, enlightened leadership of, of former presidents to say let's have a open immigration policy and mm. bring people with uh, you know uh, talents and abilities instead of shutting the door on them so that was part of you know the JFK and LBJ kind of immigration w- which brought my father uh, here uh, to study at the University of Texas uh, I serve as imam now uh, at the North Austin Muslim Community Center uh, so an imam is a person who uh, leads the five daily prayers, does the Friday sermon, which is the main congregational day, uh, but also does uh, counseling and um, marriage, and hopefully less divorce. Hopefully, we can do some reconciliation. <laughs> uh, so there are there is a level of counseling and interaction. But the other dimension to being an imam in the West uh, is uh, presenting Islam, uh, talking about Islam to people who sometimes either know very little or know 180 degree opposite to what is the actual truth about Islam. And so it's a uh, an area of the work which I embrace. Um, you know, right after 9-11, there was huge demand for people to come and speak about Islam from people who were experts and maybe not so much experts. <laughs> and the Qur'an was the fastest selling uh, book in all the bookstores. And so even though I decided to go into imam work in 2003, uh, there was definitely that seed that was planted in me that we needed uh, an American uh, imam uh, to kind of step up and um, uh, be an ambassador uh, in many ways uh, for the faith uh, and the tradition.
0: I bought my Quran right after 9-11 as well. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was my first introduction to it In that respect then With being an imam in the West You say you embrace that piece of the work How much more though Of your work comparatively With other imams Not in the West Does that consume your time So Introducing Islam to people yeah, Who don't I mean, know anything it's,
1: about it It's a highlight And I want to bring it back We did have a few years ago Here at NAMCC The North Austin Muslim Community Center We had an Islam 101 course Where it was actually meeting uh, regularly for at least 12 weeks and we had an audience participation. I remember one year we had a, almost 100 students uh, that were not Muslim who wanted to learn about Islam. And so when you talk to other Muslims, they're kind of like, well, we know this and we know that, that already. And Whereas a person who doesn't know anything about Islam, they're like, oh, you really believe in Jesus? Oh, we never knew that. Oh, so Allah is the, like the one God that Abraham was talking about. Oh, so when you see the sparkle in the per- person's eye when they discover something that they saw Islam and Muslims as the boogeyman, and then all of a sudden they're seeing, well, wait a minute, this is you know a Middle Eastern tradition, but it's also a universalized tradition for all people from all over. Connections the world. and yeah.
0: epiphanies, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Well, then keeping keeping that going with educating me more about Islam, I was curious for our to get into our topic, what's a traditionally Islamic view of the environment and how do Muslims understand their relationship with the environment? And I'm talking specifically in terms of that that theme of, of dominionism. Uh, how do Muslims understand their relationship with the environment in terms of having dominion over the earth?
1: Yeah, so we, I would say we start from a very different place in terms of that word dominion, because usually when you use such a strong word, we reserve that only to God, to Allah, that this is his dominion. And mm. so we have to be very careful about taking on there are certain qualities uh, in, in Islam, there are 99 names for God, which are also attributes, many of them. And the person is try to, tries to inculcate uh, certain qualities of God in themselves uh, without thinking that they are God, of course. So for example, one of the names of Allah is Ar-Rahman, which means the most merciful. So if I want to be close to God, then I need to show mercy Uh, And the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, himself said that those who show mercy to others will be shown mercy by God, you know, to them. And so there are certain names of majesty and greatness, uh, like many are familiar, maybe the older generation, Al-Jabbar, so Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So Al-Jabbar means the overwhelming, the overpowering. So that's a name of God which we should not try to bring into our character we should bring humility not uh this kind of greatness um into our into our psyche um so i think that the word itself has a a, a negative connotation in islam to be attributed to a human being Mm. um and then the other part where we start is the prophet muhammad peace upon him his inspiration came from by through and by being in nature, uh, he was a shepherd, and and he would take care of the uh, the animals in the in the desert. He would have time for reflection at night. He went out into the cave outside of the city of Mecca, uh, where he could still see the house of God built by Abraham, from but from a mountaintop, and a cave, away from all of the hustle and bustle, and so. I identify a lot with that that I find a lot of peace just you know even if I'm just sitting in my car where there's a lot of trees I see the birds hear the birds and so it is indeed a great you know travesty to imagine a world that doesn't you know have that accessible to us or to our children Mm -hmm. Uh, so it would take away from the connection to God himself clearly in Islam we don't see nature as God but we do see nature Uh, as a sacred uh, sign from God. uh, And we see the beauty of God the same way that if you have an artist and his painting. So when a person says, and they see the painting, oh, I I can see the artist. I mean, it's not literally, but it's saying in spirit, you know, that I'm seeing the the touch there. And so it's a direct link back to God. I mean, nature is, and, and this is why, you know, in some traditions, obviously not in the Islamic tradition, they deify nature. Um, I can understand where that's coming from, <laughs> uh, as a Muslim, uh, and so it's it's this idea of being a, uh, having dominion or to subdue some of the vocabulary that that's used sometimes and to dominate. Uh, those are anathema, actually, in the Islamic context. Uh, But there is definitely an idea of uh, what some modern-day authors are talking about, stewardship. The word that's actually used in Arabic is khalifa. A khalifa is an agent who is to represent and act in accordance with the will of the one who entrusted that agency to him. So it's not a carte blanche, you know, do whatever you want. (laughs) It's like you are answerable to God for what you do with, Uh, the animals and the plants and the streams and uh, and so there's a lot of this feeling of accountability before God for the nature that we are entrusted with as opposed to you know a very extreme form of understanding you know the idea of dominionism uh, is just I mean it sounds a little bit graphic but almost just you know raping the earth and and pillaging Mm -hmm. you know this is way far I think from from any person of True uh, spiritual understanding to to think that way about the earth mm-hmm.
0: and the having dominion then it it can't be separated from accountability and because it, it, because what comes to mind for me when you're talking about how in uh, in Islam that dominionism is 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 almost seen with a negative connotation Christianity will hear dominion as God gave us dominion, mm. uh, often, stereotypically. I'm mm. not saying all the time, but mm. very often it's, uh, God gave us dominion. Mm. And it sounds like the the negative connotation that comes with it is trying to, I, I'm hearing you saying it dismisses that and says, actually, you can't have dominion without mm. accountability. It's not a, you can have this, now do what you will.
1: Yeah. I mean, in Islam, there's an inbuilt mechanism in a lot of what we do. To be humble and appropriate for this discussion, down to earth, uh, the Prophet Muhammad peace upon him he would, you know, sit on the ground. He would eat with his hands. He had this very simple life, um, and you know the the tree he used to uh, lean against a tree when he would give a sermon, um, and then they built a proper pulpit for him, and then he started sp- preaching from that pulpit. And it was one of the miracles of the Prophet Muhammad uh, that he and the people present could hear the tree weeping, missing the Prophet of God leaning against it. And so the Prophet Muhammad got down from the new pulpit, went to the tree, and actually if you read the narration closely, you can interpret it as he like hugged the tree to comfort it. Um, now people will say, oh, Muhammad is a tree hugger. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the idea of, um, you know, being close to the earth, being humble, being down to the earth. There are stories where, for example, he would see a camel uh, that was being mistreated and there would be uh, a, even an empathy uh, in the eyes uh, between them. that, As they look, he would feel what the camel is feeling um and so this idea when you say dominion as opposed to humility being humble the prophet muhammad himself said i was offered by allah which is the name in arabic for the one god either to be a king prophet or to be a slave prophet he said i chose to be a slave prophet mm. so um it's something you know arrogance uh in islam uh even in dealing with nature uh is a barrier to entering paradise itself. And the Prophet Muhammad peace upon him said that um, even if you have an atom's weight of arrogance in your heart, you cannot enter paradise.
0: Okay, okay. It sounds like with with humility and with being humble, that that can't happen outside of relationship. One has to have relationship in order to embrace those virtues. And if a tree is crying, weeping, then it's for that relationship uh, and one has to have a relationship with a creature. And so that, that's what I want to get into a little bit more is this idea of the environment, trees, every creature within the whole of, of, um, from a Christian perspective, creation mm-hmm. being, uh, being things that we are in relationship with, Yeah. but you have to have that perspective. So you shared this, this incredible lecture with me that, um, and Dr. Sayed Hossein Nasser gave, and this was on January 26th of 2009, and um, so, so it's a powerful lecture. But at the same time, it it makes me shudder a bit because it was over a decade ago, and he's talking about the urgency of this topic that we're getting into. And he, he's one of the foremost scholars of Islamic religious and comparative studies in the world, Dr. Nasser, and he gave this lecture in Doha outlining daily environmental struggles within an elaborate frame of spiritual Islam and he starts by pointing out that in 1966 he gave a lecture in Chicago where he predicted the environmental crisis that we've been in and that we are in and he said there's nothing as important in the world as the environmental crisis. In fact, he said, during this one hour that I will have the pleasure of spending with you, many species will have disappeared from the face of the earth. Mm. So there's some context about this lecture. Something I want to ask you about is where Dr. Nasser says that most Muslims do not realize there is a disconnect between their daily prayers and the way they treat the environment, Mm. uh, that cognitive dissonance, right? And his assertion that, as he says, the environmental crisis in the Islamic world is based on a blindness to Islamic teachings about nature. Mm. So what is that disconnect that he's talking about between Muslims' prayer life and how they treat the environment? And what do you think he means about the environmental crisis being based on Muslims' blindness to their teachings about nature. Mm-hmm. What, what are those teachings to which they are blind?
1: Mm-hmm. So, what I think he's speaking to, I mean, he's obviously very brilliant. I think he's speaking to the idea that people may think that Islam is simply a set of rituals and that if you uh, perform these rituals, then you are, um, to borrow a Christian term, you are saved. You know, just do the rituals, do the prayers, and you're fine. Um, or like
0: the Christian piety of just go to church on Sunday, yeah. everything's good for the yes. rest of the week, repeat. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yes, and so the 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 notion where he's saying if you're just trying to catch up to the West um, and replicating uh, its exploitation of, of natural resources, uh, whether you want to look at that in a positive or a negative way, depending on who you are— um, you know, And you just imitate them and say, well, well we're praying, we're fasting, uh, but we're going to copy everything in terms of technology and uh, quote-unquote progress, that this is not being true to the Islamic tradition, which was based on a more holistic uh, give and take between human beings and nature. Uh, for example, um, the Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, uh, he said when you slaughter an animal, uh, make sure to treat it well. Uh, make sure the, the knife is very sharp, as painless uh, as possible. Uh, take that life knowing that you're doing so in the name of God. Uh, and this is why you know, it's another, another discussion about you know, kosher and halal meat. And the idea was because you're giving a sacredness to that animal that, that, that you're taking its life. And then he said make sure not to waste anything from that animal as well because that would be a type of uh, ingratitude uh, to God who has uh, you know, made it so that that animal uh, could be used. So, uh, Or that animal would be uh, slaughtered and then the meat you eat from it and you give others to eat from it. And you actually see that this animal is helping you in worshiping God, that you're taking from its energy or... You know, it's molecules, so to speak, and making them part of your energy now. Um, and so, I think you know that kind of teaching within Islam. You might say, "Okay, is it halal meat or not?" Uh, and I did. Am I do my five prayers or not? As opposed to saying, "Let's go deeper," and say, "Why? Why is there a concept of making meat sacred for it to be eaten or not? Why?" Uh, When I pray, for example, that I put my face on the earth, uh, why do we say, and I think the Christians also say something similar, when we bury a person, we say, we have created you from it, we return you to it, and we bring you out of it once more. Uh, And we call the earth uh, our mother uh, as well. And is this the right way? I mean, in Islam, the mother is put on a pedestal, uh, the Prophet Muhammad was actually asked, who should I be closest to in companionship? And then the Prophet answered him, uh, your mother. He said, then who? He said, your mother. He said, then who? He said, your mother. He said three times. He said, then who? He said, your father. So what does this tell us if we're thinking of the earth as mother and so much respect is to be given to mother? So when we enter into her womb again uh, upon death, um, We are accountable and answerable, and there's a chapter in the Qur'an about that, that it will speak and testify either for us or against us, depending on what we have done with her. Um, So it's uh, that going deeper into the tradition of Islam, and that if you arrive at a different point than where uh, Western... Uh, industrialization and technology advancement, which is bringing a lot of good, but also bringing a lot of devastation in many ways, uh, that if you arrive at a different point, that's okay. I mean, um, we don't have to all uh, conform to, uh, you know, one particular philosophy or theory uh, of how the world is to work. And and unfortunately, there is this sense that... um, people assume that what's coming from the West is automatically uh, you know, right or dominant, and this is the way to go. Um, and then of course you have some extreme reactions to that in other parts of the world as well. Uh, so it's, it's really intricate kind of dilemma that what can we take from one another uh, as human beings, as a global citizen uh, from West or from East uh, to help our mother? Um, and to be respectful of our mother. Um, You know, I think one of the things he said is uh, you don't see a a kid in a village just randomly like tear a branch off of a tree and for no reason. But in the city, you would see a kid do that. And this is the idea of not feeling connected to the place where you are and feeling grounded and connected to the earth Um, when we are praying and making a prostration those two elements should come together um, and, and not be disconnected.
0: And what you're saying about Mother Earth too, again with the, uh, th- that description, it's not only about the relationship, but I was going to to get back to what you said about being born in, being born into returning to the womb of, of Mother Earth. And that's another thing that Dr. Nasser gets to that I was hoping you could uh, elaborate on for me. Because he, he he points out that the word environment, um, a, a one of his translations into Arabic and Persian is, is it Mohit? Mohit, yes. And um, from the word khata, mm-hmm. which means to encompass. Yes. And so that's one of the names of God. Um, ultimately, God is the environment for a true Muslim. He says that God is the environment mm. into which we are born. Mm -hmm. in which we live, in which we function, Mm -hmm. and in which we die. Mm -hmm. And that struck me as very powerful, this thought of being born into God, Mm -hmm. um, and we die in God. So living in the environment that we share is, I I understand what you were saying before about the environment isn't divine, it is sacred, but living in the environment that we share is, is living in, um, I guess manifestations of God or or, or uh, signs of God, and 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 how do the names for God mm-hmm. in the Quran inform your relationship with the environment? If one of those names is to encompass, mm-hmm. and you we, we were talking about the name Mother Earth, um, how do the names in the Quran for uh, for God inform your relationship with the environment?
1: Hmm. That's an excellent question. Um... There is a verse of the Quran, and we talked about this name, one of the most important names already, which is Ar-Rahman, which is the all-embracing with mercy. Uh, And and we talked about womb. So interestingly, in Arabic, the word for womb is Rahim. And Rahim uh, is connected in the three-letter roots to Ar-Rahman. So the Ra ha meem um for those who are into languages they'll they'll know if they know a little bit of hebrew as well they can see the connections between words just through three letter roots so the idea the prophet muhammad himself there's a verse of the quran said we have sent you nothing but as a rahmah as a mercy a compassion softness there's a lot of things in the word rahman for so alameen is an Arabic word, which means for everything in existence. So not just for human beings, uh, not just for the spirit world, uh, but for animals, for plants. Uh, some new age thinkers even extend it to if there is a multiverse. <laughs>
0: mm, that's pertinent these <laughs> that, days, right? <laughs> that, he,
1: that is for all, for al-alameen is plural of of world. So it's saying worlds. So um, some of the other names uh, which have to do with uh, benevolence, uh, kindness. Uh, there's another uh, powerful word, which is, which is uh, Rab, which people translate as Lord. But Rab has to do with someone who cultivates and nurtures, uh, like a person who's taking care of a seed that grows into a sapling, and then that God is doing that with us that he's nurturing us like a tree. Uh, and there are actually a lot of tree analogies, <laughs> but nurturing us, taking care of us, giving us the water, the sunshine, you know, the protection, uh, everything that we need to flourish, uh, that we also uh, should have that cultivating aspect with with the world, with ourselves, mm-hmm. with our children, uh, with the people around us as well.
0: So I can see all these names for God in how I'm just looking out the window of your office here at these trees. And some of those names for God um, are exhibited in how these trees are moving with the wind. And all these different names for God can be seen in different uh, examples of, uh, of the environment. And what comes to mind for me from a Christian perspective is jesus talking about as surely as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family you did it to me mm. uh from the gospel of matthew and there's in there's a there's this notion of of uh, all of creation having come through jesus as well mm. through one of the creation stories and just quick side note there's not just one creation story in the bible there's there's a handful of creation stories in the Bible, one of which is from the Gospel of John, where it begins with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was was with God, and the Word was God. Mm-hmm. Everything came into being through him, that being the Logos, Christ, Jesus. And so looking around at the environment, mm-hmm. looking around at creation, we see, uh, we see Christ himself Mm. and therefore how we treat the environment is getting back to that idea of as surely as you did it to what you see Mm. you do it to me and I I hear a similarity there in the different names for God being revealed in how the environment carries itself and how the environment expresses itself how it lives if we would only see it that way but Mm we have to see it that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, one of the names, uh, of God is the most beautiful. And so when we see beauty, uh, it should, uh, draw us closer to the wonder for the beauty of God himself. And so the beauty in nature and the patterns and, uh, the, the colors. And as you mentioned, just the, the wind, uh, Blowing through some leaves and a leaf falling and so on. I mean, it's really it can take a person to another mystical, uh, mystical <laughs> plane, uh, if you will. Uh, one of the things I wanted to feed off of on your on your comment, um, how we treat nature and especially, you know, I think people can relate to is is animals. How we treat animals really says a lot about our inner spirituality, our inner world and our inner self. Uh, There's a tradition some of your audience may know. Um, It sounds a little severe, but I mean, it's because it's something so important. Uh, The Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, said there was a woman. She went to hellfire because of a cat. Um, And they said uh, about her, she would pray uh, fast, uh, do the rituals of the religion, Uh, but she had a cat that she caged she wouldn't feed the cat Uh, she wouldn't allow the cat to go find food for itself so that cruelty in her heart uh, it was the true face not the prayer and the fasting and so on and so there's a saying of the Prophet Muhammad that God doesn't look at the externalities he looks at your heart and your deeds and so because of that, she went to the hellfire because of her cruelty to the cat was the true one. And then the flip side, because we have to be optimistic, it said there is a, um, a woman, again, in classical societies, uh, you know, they say, oh, uh, she was a, a prostitute. So they would see her, okay, she's uh, committing so many sins. She's going against, uh, you know, chastity and, and so on. They said that she went to paradise because of a dog and they said what's her story so the prophet muhammad to teach them that lesson he said that she was walking through the desert uh and she became very thirsty and came to a well and she was about to uh you know get some water from that well for herself to drink but she found a dog panting unable to get water from the well so she uh, took her slipper went down into the well Uh, filled it with water, filled her slipper with water, and then held her slipper in her mouth, climbed up the well with the the slipper in her mouth, and gave the dog to drink even before she drank. So it said Allah so much appreciated what she had done, because that's her true self coming out, Mm -hmm. that He forgave all of her sins and entered her into paradise. And so our relationality, you know, that you mentioned, this relationality to nature, really says a lot about ourselves about either our beauty or ugliness because we have both potentialities as human beings Uh, we have a potentiality to corruption we also have a potentiality uh, to uh, righteousness as well and and both of them exist and within the spiritual dimension of islam there's a a struggle in the heart that is taking place uh, between both of those Uh, possibilities sometimes they're in the same person he could be a monster or be a saint (laughs) but we want the saint to come out and 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 how they treat nature and how they are with nature does say a lot about that person you know Um, and and I had a a person come to my house once and he was doing some work and he said you know "I, I can really read a person you know, when I see how they, uh, you know, deal with a dog or how they... Oh, deal. yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> there's a yeah. there's a playful prayer of, uh, God, please help me be the person my dog thinks that I am. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> another thing that you're talking about with how we treat nature and the environment says so much about ourselves, it makes me think of the, the command of loving one another as we love ourselves mm-hmm. and you know I, I I very often as a pastor will come back to that in pastoral counseling to say if the extent to which you love yourself is the extent to which you will extend that love to others very often. so please don't lose sight of yourself. do practice self-love and don't think that it is selfishness or something pejorative it, it's a good thing and so I, I'm just thinking about, if we have an apathetic view of ourselves then that same apathy will be shown to the cat yeah. for example yeah um, I, and i also learned just i didn't want to lose this that the prophet muhammad liked uh, loved cats
1: yes yes this is one hundred
0: maybe that's another reason traditions. why that story comes out so <laughs> one of prominently the
1: traditions uh, and you know i think there's a saying in the or part of a verse of the quran where it says they forgot about god and so god made them forget about themselves Mm. Um, and if the vehicle or one of the main vehicles to remembering god is going out into the wilderness and experiencing nature um you know some authors said there's and i think he was said hossein nasser himself where you don't find atheistic uh civilizations or atheistic tendencies in places where it's agrarian and uh in nature and wilderness that atheism developed in the cities where it's like <laughs> yeah he talks you know, about that yeah where it's yeah. just like uh, concrete and buildings i mean no offense to the architects you know there's some beautiful downtowns but um you know i think the idea here of uh if, if we injure nature, we injure ourselves. I mean, we are nature, nature is us. Uh, yes, there is a mystical dimension that we believe in as human beings, or as Muslims, that, that human beings have, which is the ruh, which is the spirit. Uh, but again, we have the same DNA, uh, not just of fellow human beings, but the same molecules <laughs> that are making up uh, even the plants themselves and even bacteria themselves. So um, a very powerful feeling to have if a person gets to that point in their mind and in their spirit is to feel communion, not just with your fellow human being, but even with the blades of grass, with the, the, the molecules in the air and this oneness with everything um, again, we see God as close, but it's, it's, it's really complicated when you start talking about mystical areas uh, of the religion of Islam, because words can lead to confusion sometimes. Um, but I think what I would advise myself and, and, and those listening is you know go out into nature, maybe it's been a while. And go to a stream, go to a lake, you know, it's called Lady Bird Lake now here in Austin, you know, I used to, <laughs> we used to be called Lake Austin, um, and just watch the ripples, you know, and, and just enjoy that whole feeling that you're getting of closeness to God, um, you know, as opposed to people think, oh, if you're a person studying science, then automatically it takes you away from God, uh, and that you maybe you will develop an atheistic philosophy but for me you know when i would sit in ut and watch you know a video about developmental biology and and see the developing fetus and see how it goes from one cell to two cells and then go and go and keep on going i mean it blew me away and you know it sounds kind of weird but tears would come into my eyes sometimes in organic chemistry class you know so mm-hmm. so i think that's what nature does is it connects us to god and and we don't want to lose that
0: it's how you see so, so let's 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 talk a little bit about anthropocentrism mm-hmm. this idea of uh taking that, that that everything doesn't revolve around humankind that we're a part of that and that we would be as you just said moved to tears at the overwhelming beauty of relationship so nasser talks about how in islam there's a creative process carried out by this absolute being who is pure intelligence, pure love, pure care, all of the names that we associate with God. And this means that every creature has a relationship with God mm-hmm. independent of us, he says, mm-hmm. us being humankind. So every creature has its own rights. Every creature has its mm-hmm. it has, has its due, he says. Mm-hmm. Every creature has what he says is, is, every creature has its face turned toward God independent of us. Mm-hmm. So what is this? spiritual mandate about every creature having its own rights independent of humankind teach Muslims about how they're supposed to relate to the environment and how they're supposed to treat it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you, you, we, We've kind of been talking about this a good deal to this point, but um, the Quran says that God placed nature where it is for us to use it but for us to use it wisely in such a way as not to destroy it. Mm. And I think that that, Nasser talks about that, but it seems to go deeper than that when we talk about this idea of every creature within nature existing independent of us.
1: Yes, yes. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's not all about us. It's all about God in the end. Um, I mean, yes, there is... The centrality of experience that we experience through ourselves but i think the idea here that's that's really uh profound um is that without us god would still be but without him we would not be and so uh when we talk about nature i mean there was before human beings were created there (laughs) <laughs> there are other creatures, uh, including, we believe, you know, celestial beings, angels, and uh, beings created out of fire, which are jinn, uh, which jinn, incidentally, uh, have a capacity for moral choice like human beings. This is what makes the two uh, related to one another. Uh, the humans created from clay and water, the jinn created from fire. So to know that these are already worlds around us that are existing, even before our existence, um, and we are kind of like the new kid on the block. (laughs) So why do we come with such arrogance uh, into this world um, and and with these words like dominate and subdue and so on? I think the other thing with with regards to to nature and that idea um, is that... Uh, the fact that they are answerable as human beings, as jinn to God, but you have all of this other creation, which is just living according to God's plan, uh, without resistance. Uh, The sun never says, I'm not going to rise today, or I'm not going to set today. But it's actually the human being, uh, that yes, it is something bizarre about the human being. He can be, you know, uh, worse than an animal or better than an angel. I mean, so it's, it's and that's what the Quran talks about as, um, I mean, the distinguishing factor about the human being is he has to have what's called the amana, which is the trust. Um, and the heavens and the earth and everything and the mountains said, we have nothing to do, we don't want to have anything to do with this trust from God upon us. But the human being carried that trust. (laughs) Uh, And unfortunately, many human beings don't even realize that they have this trust upon them and this expectation from God upon them. Um, And uh, they can do great evil and great harm, uh, because of the lack of feeling of accountability to the one who has entrusted us, uh, that is God himself.
0: I wanted to ask you about Islamic law, Sharia law, and the priorities that are placed on it when, when looking at the environment. So what we prioritize in our teachings is, is yet another reflection of, of what's inside, like we've been talking about. So according to Sharia law, as I understand it, it is forbidden to kill trees even during war. Yes. It's, and and uh, Dr. Nasser actually talked about that, where killing trees during war is along the same lines as being forbidden, as in don't harm women and children. Mm-hmm. Um, and also according to Sharia law, you must keep water pure Mm. it's against islamic law to pollute running water which my mind of course went immediately to flint michigan (laughs) right um it's against islamic law to own water as a source for a whole society so there's obvious points in here about commodifying land and water being uh against Mm. as as i hear that against Mm. islamic law Mm. and um this I wanted to ask you about this because what came to mind for me in thinking about Sharia law and just those few examples that I shared is the idea of of, of cherry-picking Christians Mm -hmm. often call it when it comes Mm to our holy texts and looking at the Bible and cherry-picking the pieces of it that work for us and ignoring the ones that don't or worse yet weaponizing manipulating Mm -hmm the texts that work for us against mm-hmm. others or to help us in ways that lord ourselves over others. I, I'm going, I, I'm saying too much, but I wanted to give you an example of what I'm getting at. Uh, when it comes to Leviticus, the the holiness codes, and for example, it, it, it's widely known about Leviticus 1822, where, Christians will will say, well, that some Christians will say, well, that is proof, quote unquote, that homosexuality is wrong because it talks about a man should not lie with a man. And I would argue that that's not what it's talking about. But that's beside the point. Leviticus 19.33 talks about you shall treat the foreigner in your land, the alien in your land as one of your own Mm. and take care of them. Mm hmm. And why is one given attention to the detriment of the other? And then there's also, of course, other uh, scriptures in the, same, in the same book about don't eat shellfish, don't mix fabrics, etc. Mm. So some are prioritized, some are not. And I'm curious if the same kind of ethic or lack thereof is applied to Sharia law Um, Do Muslims actually abide by Mm. those laws um, with equity? Mm. Just curious about that.
1: Yeah, that's a really deep question um, and uh, a longer conversation, no doubt. Um, There is an idea of coming to Revelation uh, neutrally and not trying to read our opinions into the text. Um, the example that's given is, have the Qur'an in front of you, leading you, uh, not behind you, <laughs> uh, that you're leading it. <laughs> so we, we definitely have to be careful. I mean, the scholars, they did break down the priorities of the sharia or the divine code a divine law Say, what is, what is the end res- point of it all? As opposed to individual rules and regulations. Said so number one is to protect uh, religion itself. So that there is value in religion, even though it, people see a lot of negative aspects about organized religion and so on. But there is a deep value in religion um, to protect life. Um, and, and not just human life, but all life uh, to uh, protect, even, you know, it's there, it's in the principles, to protect also property, um, you know, as well. That there is a level of sacredness if something belongs to one person, that another person doesn't uh, forcefully take it from them. But we should not be attached to that which we have, we should be giving it freely and, and willingly. Uh, but then also uh, safeguarding uh, honor uh, as well as the the next generation as well. So stepping back and trying to see how do these laws fit in uh, with the purpose and the reasoning behind it. Um, Muslims are at various levels of practice and understanding. Uh, I think the average Muslim, uh, including myself, would say, I'm not really following everything the way that it needs to be followed and to the level it needs to be followed, but I do value it that if it is to be implemented that this would be the right way to live. You know, I'm not there yet, but I. that's how I think many Muslims, including myself, would see that, okay, I'm not there yet, but I need to work to get to that, to that level. And um, we are not, uh, pure, but we should be purifying, so or purifying ourselves as much as we can uh, to reach uh, as much purity as we can. Uh, but at the same time, there's a saying of the Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, that he said that if human beings committed no sins uh, and were were sinless and so pure, he said he would replace them and create ones who would commit sins so that he can forgive them. <laughs> because one of the names, for, it to, for that name to be relevant, one of his names is the most forgiving. So if they're not committing, so what relevance is forgiveness then? Um, you know. So I think, yes, Muslims are different levels. Uh, people can read the text uh, and interpret it to suit their particular agenda. Uh, but an honest and true uh, believer comes neutrally to the text, and says, let me look at all of the revelation on this particular topic, look at all the context, um, even pray on it, and seek the guidance from God, um, and then act on that, even if it goes against something that they were inclined to before that whole exercise.
0: And it sounds to me like you're you, what, what What I would say is it, it's about how you read, so... When it comes to the examples that I just shared about you shall not, uh, I'm using Judeo-Christian language just then with you shall not, but <laughs> but y- y- you don't harm a tree, you don't pollute the water, you don't own water, um, and and as you were saying, you don't put yourself before the Quran, you let it lead you. Yeah. And so rather than trying to memorize the law and and, and have it, be, um, something that you do correctly or better than somebody else, you ask first the question. Um, this is what I'm hearing in some of Mm -hmm. what you're saying. Mm -hmm. You ask first the question, uh, well, what will happen to the tree if I don't do right by it? Mm -hmm. What will happen to the water if I, if I were to allow for it to be polluted Mm -hmm. or if I did own it? So it's it's not about how I should behave ethically for my own betterment. It's mm-hmm. about how I can live in in right relationship with the pieces of the environment and the whole of again as I would call it from a Christian perspective, the whole of creation that 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 are about reconciliation and belonging and um right yeah, right relationship. Yeah. yeah. So
1: yeah, I think um Islam means, means submission. It also means attaining peace through submission. So we are included in that <laughs> as human beings. So we submit along with the trees, the birds, uh, the animals, the whole universe, the galaxies. They are in submission. They are Muslim, meaning they're, you might say, what do you mean they're Muslim? Meaning that they are in submission. We also join them in submission to God, mm. and so uh, I think it's important not to lose sight of that, and <laughs> you know understand. Yes, we are unique because we can choose to obey or disobey the divine pattern, or to align with the divine pattern or not. But the risk that we're taking is if we don't align with the divine pattern, we're going against all of creation. Uh, and we're risking that all of creation could be cursing us instead of thanking God for us. <laughs> if we say this human being, uh, you know, look what it's, you know, it's, he's, straying, he's straying so far away from the divine purpose <laughs> and plan. Uh, and, but that's why God is also forgiving. He gives us a chance uh, to repair, uh, to uh, learn, learn better. And I think we are getting there as human beings, uh, when it comes to the environment, especially the next generation, uh, you know, I think that that's something promising there. Uh, it will take a lot of effort, uh, a lot of work, uh, and also, as you mentioned, just changing the mindset of how we see the world, how we see ourselves in the world, um, and and especially with a religion like Islam, where you have the second largest religion in the world, um, you know... Without trying to make a debate about it, but uh, it's a religion that's taken very seriously by its, um, you know, practitioners. How much they're practicing or not, you know, maybe varying, but they take it very seriously. That if they get a message that is genuinely from within the tradition of Islam, uh, that they need to be environmentally conscious, uh, that they need to uh, have preservation of natural resources they will see oh this is being a good muslim uh, is also uh, conserving and uh, preserving uh, nature and so on
0: okay so shifting to where we go from here then Mm -hmm. then the hope for the future is a change in perspective um, a metanoia Mm -hmm. a change of of how we see and that we teach our children that same, kind of, uh, cha- that, that same kind of perspective, that same different way of seeing things. So Dr. Nasser says that for the Muslim, no revival can come without the revival of the Islamic view of the environment. Mm. And so uh, what is the ideal view of the environment uh, for Muslims? I, I, I guess I could ask it that way or or, or what is Muslim's view of dominion, dominionism, of having dominion over the earth and how and 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 does that view need to change?
1: I think it's more of uh, responsibility and fellowship. I know fellowship is a Christian term, but fellowship with nature. I mean <laughs> uh, it's it's give and take, you know, and uh, this is the true way of of being at peace. Um, and living at peace is you are, uh, I know when we talk about brotherhood and, and, and that kind of thing, we're thinking about human beings, but feeling a closeness uh, to the environment that we are in, feeling identification with the environment uh, that we are in, um, whether it is uh, a tree or whether it is uh, a mountain, um, I mean, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, there's a mountain outside of his city in Medina. He said, this is a mountain that we love and that loves us. <laughs> and so that's, I think, a very Islamic feeling about nature. Is there's a, there's a give and take and there's real depth of emotion. He's not just, he's saying, we love this mountain and this mountain loves us. Um, and so I think that that would be a very different world if we had that mindset uh, when it comes to you know resources and the environment and uh, the growing list of endangered species and you know these are our brothers uh, in a different level. I know language is sometimes confusing, but uh, you know these are these are also we are responsible for them. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. No, oh, but language is everything. Looking <laughs> at um, looking at plankton. Yeah. as as my neighbor as yeah. a christian would say yeah instead of just uh something that i can't see and so it doesn't matter or yeah yeah, yeah. okay well i wanted to wrap up by uh getting personal for just a second mm-hmm. and ask you uh, you know as a muslim as as an imam yeah has the way that you see the environment and how you relate to the environment changed mm. over time and I know that's kind of an abstract question. So are there any particular behaviors mm. that you and, and your family do that reflect that view that yeah. that has perhaps changed?
1: Yeah, I think early on, I mean, some of my uh, strongest spiritual experiences uh, had to do with just looking at the stars. I'm, I'm sure many of the listeners have similar kind of feeling. It just, you know, all night, just looking at the stars, and then you know, you you get this really deep feeling that is beyond expression with words, uh, of closeness and nearness uh, to God, but also oneness with creation that you that you are you know been observing. Um, I think one thing that has changed the idea of science being the end all and be all. I, I have a chemical engineering degree <laughs> from the University of Texas here. Um, and so seeing, you know, learning the laws of nature to take advantage of nature, uh, as opposed to uh, using, using it responsibly, and also giving it its due right as well. Uh, I think that for me personally, um, I still love science and it's mind blowing, some of what we've discovered, but not seeing that as the end uh, ideal or the end um, absolute kind of axiomatic good that, okay, it, as long as uh, we are progressing in the scientific arena, this means we're on the right path. You know, not necessarily. I mean, it's, uh, I'm not against. Scientific progress by any means, but I think just embracing it blindly wherever it takes us. Uh, unfortunately, we've seen how science, you know, wiped out a uh, whole city, you know, um, in in the blink of an eye. So we have to be very careful. So I think that's something that has changed within me philosophically: is that having a love for science doesn't mean a blind following or submission to science, because after all, I have to submit to God, to Allah, not to uh, something other than that. And so, um, you know, in terms of just practical day-to-day activities and so on, I always teach my children, uh, my my two daughters, you know, don't disturb the animals, don't disturb the plants, you know, leave them be, you know, they're not doing anything to you, Don't, don't do anything to them. Um... And I think that that's, that's a key thing to just keep on letting people feel that they have rights just like you have rights. And um, they are umam, they are nations the way that human beings are nations. And so, you know, giving that due respect uh, that is there.
0: Thank you. Imam Islam Masad, talking with us about dominionism and our relationship to the environment. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Dan. All right, I enjoyed it.